You are listening to the audio podcast of Gethsemane Baptist Church, located in Long Beach, California, pastored by Eli Reynolds. Luke chapter 14, enjoyed that song very much, thank you for singing that, and uh, thank you for bringing a good spirit to church today, doing a great job singing, and uh, I like looking out and seeing smiles and not closed eyelids, that's always a blessing, or drool, that's always, you know, that's that's never the good thing you want to see in church, but Luke chapter number 14, as you're turning there, just for our folks here, we have a very brief business meeting tonight, we're going to have it last week and we'll have it tonight. Just so you're aware of that. And also, that Q&A coming up, I'm very excited about. Uh, Just being able to answer your questions. I think if you've been in church uh, only a year or two or three, somewhere in that range, then boy, if I were you, I would be filling up that question box and showing up. Because sometimes you, you you have a lot of questions and you don't, you know, sometimes people that are new to church don't want to ask them. They feel like, well, I'd sound stupid. You're, you don't, you're not going to ask anything wrong. I, I took a peek in there last week to see what questions were in there. And, uh, and there was a few questions. There was one question I didn't quite understand. But then one question is, why are we having a Q&A? And I was like, okay, all right, teenager. And I, I guarantee you, you give me two guesses, I can tell you who it was. But anyway we got some smart aleck teenagers around here. There was a question in there, who's your favorite fifth grader? And I was like, my daughter's in fifth grade now, so I'm pretty sure I know who wrote that. But anyway, there are also some good ones in there, some ones that made me go, huh, all right, that's a good question. So, and then on the night of, if you want to just try to stump me and bring some questions, that's fine. But I just want to help you uh, with just Bible answers and, and, and things. Some things, you know, are not crystal clear in Scripture, so you're like, what do you do with that? You know, and I'd love to be able to help with that, so that's there. Also, one last thing as, uh, as we're getting to Luke chapter 14 is uh, periodically I announce this. And again, if you're visiting with us today, you can ignore this. But if you're a, uh, if you're a member, a regular attender, we have a Christian school here. Well, if you are a visitor, you can hear that too and put your kids in a Christian school. But uh, we have a Christian school. I think we have a, a tremendous Christian school. I really do. I think, you know, we just had 10 graduates uh, this last week. Two weeks ago and just they were so phenomenal just such great graduates and that's the parents mainly but uh, they're involved in good churches they're in a good Christian school our teachers love these students our, our, our public schools in the area are severely lacking uh, to say the least now, I'm not I'm not bashing every single teacher that's not the case uh, but uh, there but by and large there's not a lot of great great things to be talked about and so we want to give people in our church kids in our church the opportunity, even if they cannot afford it, to be in a Christian private school environment. You know, and, and I, I think our SAT scores would blow out any school around here. I, you know, I, I think we do a great job with that. And, and smaller classroom sizes means easier and better learning for your kids. There's a lot I have to say about the Christian school. I, it's, my, it's a conviction for me. I will never put my kids in a public school. And, uh, and, and again, that's, you have to make that call. But if you would like your kids in a Christian school, I want to promote ours and say, hey, come talk to us about it. But then some of you are empty nesters. You don't have people, you don't have kids in school or college anymore, or, or maybe you don't <clears throat> have kids at all, but you'd like to help support some of our people and our kids get to the Christian school. We have a school scholarship program, 
And uh, I think it's on the tithing envelope there in front of you. But if you'd like to give to that, you can give online. You can give in our offering. But uh, we, we are able to provide several students a way to get to the Christian school that maybe otherwise cannot afford it. And so I just want to plug that and say, if you'd like to give towards that, um, several students have been able to come to our school because of that. And let me just, I could, I could just tell you story after story of stuff I've heard dealing with teenagers in the past 17 years in the public schools around here. And kids come to our school, and I think it's so needed and important. So if you're able to give towards that, I just encourage you to do it, okay? I'll throw that out there. Now let's go to Luke chapter number 14 in your Bible. And uh, we're in the parables of Jesus, and we don't have a ton left here. We're not covering every parable. But uh, the parable today, we're going to do three in one, just like we did last week. Don't let that scare you, but three in one here. And uh, the, the parables we're looking at are the tower, the battle and the salt. If you like alliteration, you could call it the structure, the siege, and the seasoning. But I go with the tower, the battle, and the salt. I want you to look at Luke chapter 14, verses 25 through 35, and I just want to give you a warning in advance. This passage of scripture is not for the faint of heart. This is a serious passage of scripture. This is, these are serious parables that Jesus is giving. And so we need to take it in a somber, serious way, the message that Jesus is getting across here. And uh, verses 26 and 27 that we'll read in a second are what the parables are going to back up. So Jesus is going to talk to a crowd of people, and then he's going to back it up with some parables. Look at verse 25. And there went great multitudes with him, and he turned and said unto them, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother... And wife, and children, and brethren, and sisters, <clears throat> yea, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Now, we're going to explain that verse, and if that's your first time hearing it, it probably doesn't mean what you think it means. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, here's the first parable, intending to build a tower, sitteth not down first, and counteth the cost whether he have sufficient to finish it. Lest haply, after he hath laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, all that behold it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, parable number two, what king going to make war against another king sitteth not down first and consulteth whether he be able with 10,000 to meet him that cometh against him with 20,000? Or else, while the other is yet a great way off, he sendeth an ambassage and desireth conditions of peace. So likewise, whosoever he, uh, he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. That's the third time Jesus said that phrase. Salt is good. Amen to that. But if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be seasoned? It is neither fit for the land nor yet for the dunghill, but men cast it out. <clears throat> he that hath ears to hear, let him hear. Let's pray together. Father, we ask your blessings upon the message today. We need you. We want to be focused not on other people, but upon the word of God and what you have to say to us. So God, may we take a personal challenge out of the message today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Look at verse 25. Again, if you would, there went great multitudes with him and he turned to them. Here's a lot of people that would follow Jesus around. So they're following Jesus. If you ask them what they were doing, they'd say, hey, we're following Jesus. 
And so Jesus looks at this crowd of people following him, and he talks about what it really means to follow him. And now verse 26 and 27 is kind of a hard message to hear. It says, if any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. That wasn't, Jesus wasn't literally advocating for you to hate everybody in your life. You know, I hate my parents. Some of the teens are like, I'm already there. No, I'm just kidding. I hope not. But, you know, or you hate your spouse. You hate, that's not what the Lord was saying there. In fact, there, it, 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 is a, it is a term of comparison. Comparison. You, you, uh, the, the love that you have for God, God should be first place. That's what Christ is trying to get across. And everything else is secondary. In fact, Matthew chapter 10, verse 37 puts this in another way. It says, he that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. So it is a comparative term. In other words, Jesus says, if you're going to be my disciple, you can't have a greater love for anybody else. Your love has to be to God first. In our marriage, my wife and I, we know to each other, God is first. Each, we're, then we're second. Our kids are 23rd. No, our kids are third place. All right? So, but God is first. Spouse, second. Kids, third. That's how it is. And, and, and that's how it's supposed to be. You can't make a God out of your spouse. You can't make God out of your kids. And we see people do this. They value things uh, over God in their life. And Jesus said, if you're doing that, you cannot, you cannot be my disciple. You value work over Jesus, you cannot be my disciple. So it's very hard message to hear because we like certain things in life. But what does it mean to be a disciple? A disciple is the word for follower. I'm a follower of someone's teaching. I am a disciple. So this crowd is following Jesus, but why? Have you ever stopped to ask why were so many people following Jesus? Well, you and I, we, we know who Jesus is. And, and if, if Jesus literally came back to earth and we knew it was him, boy, we'd follow him no matter where he went. We'd give up anything to follow him. But that is not why all the people followed Jesus in the Bible. Do you know why a lot of people follow Jesus in the Bible? Bread. Miracles. Jesus can take five loaves and two fishes and feed thousands upon thousands of people. Hey, our stomachs get full when we follow Jesus. Hey, did you see the miracles that he's done? Let's follow him so we can see what he does next. That's why... A lot of people follow Jesus. And that's why, if you look at the book of John in chapter 6, I think it's verse 66, when, when, when Jesus said some hard things to people, it says that a lot of him, a lot of these disciples, these followers, turned around and followed him no more. Because they realized, oh, wait a second, this isn't what I thought it was. I thought I was going to get something. And now I've realized, no, to follow Jesus means I have to give something. Jesus was telling them, if you truly want to follow me, there are some things you need to know. Verse 27, whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. So you can come after Christ, but it will mean carrying your cross. 
It'll mean crucifying yourself. It'll mean dying to your will and living for Jesus. And, and he's going to explain that in these three parables. So I want you to see a couple things this morning. First of all, I want you to see the cost. I want you to see the cost. Look at verse 28. For which of you, intending to build a tower, sitteth not down first and counteth the cost? Counteth the cost. Verse 31 says, Or what king going to make war against another sitteth not down first and consulteth? You know, figuring it out. Counting the cost. The word counting there is the Greek word for calculate. It means to do the math. You're going to start building. Let's say you're going to put an addition onto your house. And you're about to build this addition. And before you begin, you sit down and you do what? You do a budget. You don't just say, okay, let's just break ground. We'll figure it out. Then you break ground and you put the foundation and all of a sudden, hey, we ain't got anything left to finish. We have no money. Then other people around mock and say, man, this guy can start a job great, but he can't finish anything. That's what is happening. He said, no, no, if you're going to build a tower, if you're going to build a watchtower, you're going to build something at, at your home or wherever, you're going to count the cost. You're going to look at what it will cost you to build this. That's what Jesus is saying. If you're a king deciding to go to battle, you're going to look at whether you can win or not. You've got 10,000 troops and they've got 20,000. Can you beat them? Is there, is there something you can do? Uh, some trickery, some great scheming? Can you defeat them? You're going to sit down and count the cost because your men's lives are at stake. Lives are at stake. You're going to count the cost because your welfare is at stake. And, and, it, and, and will you be able to finish it? Will you have the willpower to finish it? There's a cost. Verse 33 says, So likewise, whosoever he be of you, that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. There's a cost. There's a cost for following Jesus. Now look, the cost in that day may not be the cost that we have today. But there is a cost. We are very spoiled in what we have to pay to follow Jesus. Because a lot of our country already knows something about Jesus. Our country is not 99% Muslim like some countries are. Our countries are not 95% Buddhist like some countries are. We have a country that knows about God and a lot of people claim to follow God, but really they're not. But, but we have to pay a different cost than other people do because in the day and age in which Jesus lived and beyond that, it meant a complete change of everything about your life to follow Christ. In fact, many times people would forsake their own children when they became a Christian. I've read stories of people performing funerals for their kids that are still alive to say they're dead to us. They turn to Christ. They're dead to us. That's, that's a cost. That's a cost that we don't know a lot about. The disciples were martyred. They were all killed. Except for, I believe, John it was. But they were all martyred. There was a cost to pay. Can I say this? There is a cost to pay. If you're going to follow Jesus and you're going to say, yes, I will be a follower of Jesus Christ in California in 2023, there will be a cost. It might be people make fun of you. It might be people just all of a sudden don't like you. And oh, what a terrible cost that is to pay, right? I mean, when you think about people in the Sudan and other places that are being murdered for their faith and their families being murdered, it's horrible that we have to pay that price. I'm being facetious. I'm not trying to be glib. But I'm saying, look, there is a price to pay. And it's about time some Christians decided that it's worth the cost. 
to live for Jesus. Amy Carmichael was a missionary, an Irish lady. In the, I think she was born in 1857, and uh, she was in Ireland. And uh, she began to see all these young, young girls that, that nobody took any time for. No Bible studies for the young ladies, nothing like that. No pastors would take the time to do it. And so she decided to do it. She started giving uh, uh, Bible studies with these young ladies and started seeing so many of these young girls getting saved. And then she got called to the mission field to go to India. So this young lady from Ireland went to India where no doubt she stood out a little bit. And she began working with these young girls that were involved in temple prostitution in the 1800s to these false religions and their temples. And she began rescuing them from, from that lifestyle and seeing these young ladies saved. She gave. She, it cost her something. And she wrote a poem. The poem is incredibly convicting to me. And I want to read it to you. It's only three stanzas. Uh, you know, of, of like four lines each. And it's on your screen, actually. You can follow along if you can see that. I apologize if it's too small. But here's what it says. It's called, Hast Thou No Scar? Hast Thou No Scar? No hidden scar on foot or side or hand? I hear thee sung as mighty in the land. I hear them hail thy bright ascendant star. Hast Thou No Scar? Hast thou no wound? Yet I was wounded by the archers, spent. Lean me against a tree to die and rent. By ravening beasts that compassed me, I swooned. Hast thou no wound? Speaking as if Jesus is saying this. No wound, no scar. Yet as the master shall the servant be. And pierced are the feet that follow me. But thine are whole. Can he have followed far who has no wound, no scar? Can we have really said we followed Christ if we don't have any scars to prove it? We don't have, we, we have no trouble in our life, no wounds, no sorrows, no scars. How can we say that we identify with the man of sorrows if we've had no scars from following Christ? Nobody's forsaken us. Nobody's cussed us out. Nobody has, uh, has uh, uh, oppressed us. Nobody has done. How can we say we followed the man of sorrows? Apostle Paul said the power of his resurrection, but also the fellowship of his sufferings is what Paul wanted. And we want an easy life. We expect Christianity to cater to what we want instead of us catering to what God wants. We expect life to be so much easier because we're following Christ because we want something out of it. When we're not just following because of who he is, can I say to follow God, to follow Jesus Christ, there is a cost. I think about people that followed our president's orders throughout the years to fight for their country. They have scars. They have wounds. They went out and they fought. They followed. They fought. And they came back with scars to say, hey, I followed and I fought. Where are our scars? What have we really sacrificed to follow Jesus? Some of you know what I'm talking about. You have sacrificed. Some of you know what I'm talking about. You have people that have forsaken you, friends and family that have turned their back on you because you followed Christ. But the world behind me, the cross before me. No turning back, no turning back. There's a cost. And I say, secondly, I want you to see the consideration. The consideration. Look, if you would again, 
It says to count the cost in verse 28. Verse 31 says, Or what king goeth to make war against another sitteth not down first and consulteth? One of the main reasons and purposes of these parables is for us to count the cost. First of all, you've got to realize there is a cost. But then secondly, you have to count it. Consider it. Consult. Consider what? Consider, is this what you really want? Are we, are we willing to follow Jesus no matter the cost? Say, well, pastor, preaching like that is going to make people leave the church. I can't be responsible for whether you leave the church or not. I can only tell you what Jesus said and tell you, hey, this is what the word of God says. That's my job. You have to respond to it. And you have to choose and say, yes, I've counted the cost, and I'm not just following Jesus because I think he's some big, great big genie in the sky and gives me whatever I want. No, I'm following him because he's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. That's why we're following. Consideration. Are we following Jesus because of what he can do for us? I just want the bread. I just want the miracles. I just want to say I'm a Christian and post, you know, about my church in the wilderness that I go to, which is really my house, and look like, you know, some target figure with these big hats on. I I just want to look like these modern, cool Christians. But where's the scar? Have you considered the cost? That's not the true spirit of discipleship. The true spirit of disciple is all to Jesus I surrender. Not what can you do for me. It's all to Jesus I surrender. Many of you probably don't know the name Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, uh, if you couldn't tell, he's German. Uh, He was a German prisoner. He was a Christian during World War II. He was an outspoken critic of the Third Reich, which you can't do that in Germany in in the 1940s. But he did, and he was in prison and eventually uh, executed because of his beliefs in Christ. In one book that he wrote, he talks about cheap grace. Cheap grace. Just something so easy. We just take it. There's no repentance. There's no sorrow. There's no sorrow for sin. There's no turning from anything. There's no, it's just, I want it because it's easy. Early days on the mission field, people referred to as rice Christians. If you Google that term, you'll see that rice Christians is a term used a lot of places. And what it means is that in the early days of the mission field, for people on these mission fields, these missionaries were giving out rice to people. And if you came up to them and said you were a Christian, they would give you an extra bowl of rice. So what happened? As you can imagine, a lot of people made false professions because they wanted the rice. So they were called rice Christians. They weren't real Christians. Because when the persecution comes, and when the trouble comes, and when the issues come, they turn away. Pressure. You see, their Christian faith was only as strong as the benefits they received from it. I want you to think about that for a second. The Christian, their Christian faith was only as strong as the benefits they received from it. So many people quit church and they say, why, why did you quit church? Because God didn't answer that prayer. God let this bad thing happen. God let this happen. I, I lost my job. I went here. I did this. You know, and, and all this kind of stuff. And, and, and really what we're saying is because God did not give me what I think I wanted and deserved, then that's it. I'm done with God. Thank God he doesn't treat us this way. Thank God he doesn't say, hey, you're not doing what I said to do. I'm done with you. No, he doesn't. That is not true faith in Christ. That's treating God as if you do such and such for me, then I'll follow you. No, 
That's not, you cannot be his disciple with that attitude. That's why Jesus is telling those following him these parables. He's saying, hey, are you a rice Christian? I want to ask you today, are you a rice Christian? Are you a rice Christian? Do you follow God only because of the benefits? And you're afraid that if you get out of church, then, then you won't be blessed anymore. And, but th that's the only reason you're here. No, please, let's realize that we, we got to follow Christ through the tough times too. But Jesus is saying, consider. You better consider before you choose to follow me because you don't want to get halfway because so many people have started building a life and they've started building a testimony and then they just quit on God. And everybody sees that tower that was half built and says, see, look at this. All those Christians are the same. They don't really believe it. And we've seen that a lot, haven't we? It's a sombering message. He's saying, hey, don't make rash commitments. When you stood up to, to marry your spouse, hopefully you didn't make a rash commitment. When you decided to have kids, hopefully you didn't make a rash commitment. And he said, you better count the cost, the consideration. Can I say thirdly, I want you to see here the courage. The courage. When you read these parables, it's easy, easy to see that it takes some courage to follow Jesus. I think about Ernest Shackleton, the guy who explored uh, uh, Antarctica. He was trying to find a path through. He, and I don't remember the exact wording of it because I didn't plan on saying this, but he put out in the English newspaper in the 1800s, he put out uh, something on the, uh, in the newspaper and it said this, help wanted, perils, return, light, you know, your, your, your livelihood is probably going to, you know, basically saying, you're probably going to die. That's basically what he said. He said, it's going to be a difficult journey. It's going to be, uh, you're going to suffer. And your return home is not very likely, but there's glory awaiting. He had thousands of people come to him. Thousands of people. That is a, I know that it could cost me my life, but hey, I'm signing up. Wow. Took some courage. Jesus said there's a cost and we could, should consider it, but consider if you can finish the tower. Consider if you can finish. It takes courage to stay with it. It's easy when emotions are high to say, I'm in. And then the difficulties come. You're like, I'm out. <laughs> you have to decide, can you finish? Can you finish? Verse 31 tells us, hey, th there's a king about to go to battle. There will be a battle. There are enemies. If you're going to follow Jesus, you have to have courage. Now, the great thing about that is the faith is not in you. The faith is in Jesus Christ. And he can have, and he has victory. Verse 28 talks about, uh, for which of you intending to build a tower? I think a lot of people have great intentions, but how many are finishing right? A lot of Christians have great intentions, but how many Christians are finishing right nowadays? We have to finish. We have to uh, encourage. I want to encourage you to finish. Don't quit. Don't stop constructing the tower. Don't, don't quit on what God has for you. Build that testimony for Jesus Christ. Live that life for Christ. Don't stop. Finish. Finish. My dad, when I was younger and I was, uh, you know, I had plans to be a musician and all this kind of stuff. And, and I, I, I remember my senior year of high school, about this time of year, literally, it was, it was around this time of year, about 23 years ago, 22 years ago, I decided I was going to go to Bible college. And I had like two months before I left and I was going to be from Illinois to California, which everybody in Illinois, I don't know if you know this, but everybody in Illinois thinks everybody in California is crazy. 
Everybody in, Cali- in Illinois thinks everybody in California, you know, dresses, uh, you know, a certain way and acts a certain way. And I mean, like, that's what people think of California. Obviously, they've never been here because they see they're right. No, I'm kidding. But um, I love California. I've lived here longer than anywhere else. But California is wonderful. California's got great churches everywhere. But I will say that that's what people thought. And I remember, you know, telling my dad, hey, dad, I'm, uh, you know, I was very nervous talking to my dad. I was very nervous because he wasn't, I didn't even know if he was saved at the time, didn't go to church. And, you know, and I said, dad, I'm, I'm thinking about, uh, and I, honestly, I had already decided I was going to go, whether he gave me his blessing or not. I had decided I'm counting that cost, even if it means my dad not liking it, not agreeing with it, I'm still going to go because God called me. And I had went into the conversation, and thankfully it went a lot better than I anticipated, but I went in, and I remember, I, was, I think we were sitting in the car, and I said, Dad, I'm, I'm planning on going to Golden State Baptist College in Santa Clara, California, and I'm planning on becoming a preacher. That's what God's called me to do. I don't know how I'll do it, but, and I said, and I just want to know, what do you think about that? How do you feel about that? Are you okay with it? Remember my dad, you know, never had like, you know, these personal conversations, you know, everything was just like, you know, handshake, almost, you know, it, it, no, he wasn't like that, but it was, uh, it, it was, it was, you know, we never had like deep conversations, and so this was one of those moments, and he sat there, and he was driving, and I'll never forget what he told me. He said, if you're going to do it, then you finish. Don't you quit. If you feel like God's telling you to do this, then you don't quit. You stay and finish. And man, I tell you what, through some dark times at college, through some dark times in life, I have looked back upon the challenge of my father who said, don't, don't quit, finish. I tell you, sometimes in your life, you may not have an earthly father that said that to you, but you got a heavenly father that's saying it to you. Don't quit, finish. What God starts, he finishes. Being confident of this very thing that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it into the day of Jesus Christ. He is the author and finisher of our faith. He is the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. On the cross, Jesus didn't say, I almost got it done. He said, it is finished. Let's be finishers. Let's have the courage to stay, to not quit. I get tired of people leaving California. Can I just say this? I get t- it doesn't matter if you say no, I'm still going to say it, but uh, I get tired of Christians leaving California. It's just too hard in California. So you want the easy life? You want the easy life of North Carolina or Tennessee or Florida? Everybody thinks Florida is like some amazing like paradise on earth. Have you seen the mosquitoes that are in Florida, folks? You want to go live there? God bless you. You'll be dead in a week, okay? Those things will suck you dry. They're the size of my hand. I think it's the state bird is the mosquito. I'm going to tell you what, though. Why leave and go somewhere else when the battle's right here? What is going to happen? To Cal- what happens? People say, what happens in California spreads across the nation. And all the Christians are leaving California. What do you think is going to happen? Why don't we stay in the fight? Just my two cents there. You didn't like that. I'll go to the next point. Number four, I want you to see the choice. The choice. And basically, it's this. Jesus doesn't force anybody to follow him. He's not going to tie a rope around your leg and drag you down the street. He didn't force the people following him there to follow him. He gave them a choice. And I love that he is honest up front. He doesn't wait till you get into it and then say, oh, by the way. 
here's what's going to happen. No, he says, if you're going to follow me, you need to know up front that some of you are going to suffer. You're going to have to carry your cross. You ever get into something where it was promised this, when you get into it, it's this, and you're like, man, I didn't know that. I have Invisalign on my teeth. I, they're like braces that are clear and transparent. I've had them for two years. I'm supposed to get them off the, on May 10th. I've been counting the days. Now I've got several more weeks to go. And they're so frustrating to me because I would tell you this. What was billed to me is not what I got. And you go online and you look at what it's supposed to be. And then I got them. And I was like, this is not what I thought it was. Be honest up front. Jesus, thankfully, tells us up front how things are going to be. He tells you how wonderful heaven will be. He tells you how it'll be rough on, on earth, but I'll be with you. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I'll be a father unto you. You'll be a son unto me. Hey, or a daughter unto me. And, and I'll be with you and I'll help you. I'll give you grace. I'll give you strength. I'll give you hope. I'll get you through the tough times. I'll walk with you through the valley. And then when you get to heaven, boy, what a reward you'll get. He tells you that up front. But he says, now the choice is yours. You see, here's what we fail to realize. There is a cost any way you choose to live. There's a cost. You choose to live for the world. You choose to live for yourself. There is a heavy price to pay for that, here and in heaven. But I'll say, you choose to live for God, there's a heavy blessing here. There's a cost here, yes, but there's blessings here and rewards there. It makes so much more sense. Lastly, I want you to see this, and we'll be done. I want you to see the consequences. You see, here's the thing. Every choice has consequences. Every action or inaction has consequences. You say, well, I'm not going to choose. Well, then you've chosen. You have chosen. And there are consequences. Now, not all the consequences we get are bad, but there are consequences. Now, look at you with the last two verses here, and we're done. This is the last point of the message here. Salt is good. But if the salt have lost his savor... Wherewith shall it be seasoned? Now, Jesus had used salt in his teaching back in Matthew chapter 5 at the Sermon of the Mount about a year and a half before this. So he had already used the illustration of salt to explain something to his disciples. He said, ye are the salt of the earth. Remember that passage? And so he says here in verse 34, but if the salt have lost its savor, its tanginess, its saltiness, wherewith shall it be seasoned? Look, you cannot season Seasoning. You cannot re-salt salt. If you go home and you've got salt that no, has, has no flavor anymore, you basically just got sand. That's what you've got. You've got nothing. You can't re-salt it. You can't make it salty again. And verse 35 tells us, and so it's good for nothing. It is neither fit for the land. You can't put it on your, in your land, you know, back in the Bible days, agriculture, and, and hope to grow something from the salt. And then it says, nor yet for the dunghill, it's not good for manure either. You know, so salt had no purpose, but men cast it out. But, but, there was one purpose for salt. And back in Matthew chapter number 5, verse 13, Jesus said, you're the salt of the earth. But if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? Same kind of terminology. Then he says this, it is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be... Anybody know? Trodden underfoot of men. Now, why would it say that? Why would it say, and I didn't know this. I actually heard a preacher preach this and say this, that I had never heard this before, what salt was used for in Bible days. Of course, it was used for seasoning food. It was used for preserving things. Salt's a good preservative. But when the salt lost its savor, 
they would take the salt, basically with no flavor in it, and they would use it to fill in potholes on the road. That's what they would use it for. They would, because it hardens and it clumps and it stays together, they would take it and they would use it to fill in the potholes so travelers coming down the road would not fall and get hurt or would not you know, stumble out of the way or their, their horse would not get hurt so they would not fall out of the way or trip up. So what is this saying to us? When our lives lose the testimony that we have for God, and when our lives lose the influence that we have as a Christian because we have decided not to follow Jesus, there is only one good use for our life, and that is to keep other people from tripping where we tripped. That's the only good use, is that our life could be used as a warning to say, don't trip where they tripped. The pastor that said this said, you know what? If you ever hear me do anything stupid, use my name. Call me out because at least my life would still be good for something. To warn people not to trip where I tripped. Salt's good, but if you lose that, the only thing your life is good for is to say, don't do like they did it. Don't trip where they tripped. Don't fall where they fell. That's not what I want my life to be. That's not, I don't want my life to be a sermon illustration for the next pastor. I don't want my life to be a sermon illustration for somebody else or something you tell your kids, hey, don't be like this. No, that's not what I want. No, I want to be in this thing. I want to be in it. And there are consequences for our actions. Someone said, that which costs nothing is worth nothing. Someone else said, the gospel is costly and worth the cost. So as we're here this morning, I want to just ask you, have you decided, I'm following Jesus, no turning back? No turning back. There is a cost any way you live, but the benefits of living for God are far greater. But it's difficult, but people may mock me, but people may turn their back on me. It's worth the cost because you're following the footsteps of Jesus. And if you're here today and you don't know Christ as your Savior, the first step for you is to come and ask Jesus to be your personal Lord and Savior. Father, we ask for your blessings today. We thank you for the conviction that comes from the Word of God. We praise you.